Matthew chapter 7, uh, as I've said many, many times, I'm excited about these messages on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you can't go wrong when you preach the best sermon that's ever preached. And uh, you're, it's not my sermon, it's Jesus' sermon that I get to like, take a look at. Last week's message was on the Ask Ministry, A-S-K Ministry. We're now going to be illustrated here. Jesus is going to give us an illustration in the following discussion that he's going to have with his disciples. The Lord does give good gifts, folks. I hope you understand that. That's why I wanted you to raise your hand, because you were given a good gift when you got saved. I I remember my days in the kingdom of darkness, and, and I lived them for a long time. And for him to step in and change... You know, I I thought my day was when I married this woman 46 years ago tomorrow. We were both in the nursery. You don't believe that, huh? Okay. Anyway, I thought that was my day starting and it was going to be a fun time there and that was... And my eyes got taken off of her, too, because it was put on the world and the things of the world. And it uh, wasn't on her. It wasn't on Christ, for sure. It wasn't until he stepped in. But today we're going to see Jesus illustrate this, this um, passage that we looked at last week about prayer. And, and he's going to begin to fulfill his plan in his beneficence to his people. And he's, he's showing that right here. The message today completes Jesus' point in verse 8. It says there in verse 8, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 8, it says, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Folks, there's an assurance to that. There is an absolute, you're going to get this in that statement. That's obviously you've got to be in the kingdom. You have to know the Lord Jesus Christ. God will come through. I don't care who you are. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're asking for the right thing, you're, you're seeking the right thing, and you're knocking for the right thing, you're going to be receiving those things. Because Jesus said it. This is a picture. Down to the simplest of things, we're gonna, he's going to take an illustration of using parents. Now, what parent here hasn't loved their child? You love your children. You want to give them good things. And that's what he's going to talk about here. We, we want to shower them with good things. We were just with our granddaughter, who now is the junior high, going into high school. Can't believe it. Oh, my word. And we were there with them, and, and they, we want to give them good things. But why don't you follow along as I read Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Or what man is there among you, when his son asks for a loaf, he will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a snake? Will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way You want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus uses some very simple examples here for us. 
strategically, I believe, because he has parents sitting in front of him, strategically because it carries throughout the ages. It's not something that's just for a moment. There's a similarity here, folks, first of all, that you need to understand. Similarity in appearance. Similarity in appearance that sometimes can make this sort of a confused kind of illustration here. Now, I, I do want to be snarky here, and I'm, I'm announcing it to in the front, okay? So you know I'm going to be snarky. Jesus did not impose an impossible question here. He made an, an easy thing. What parent doesn't want to give a good thing to his child? Not like that senator who asked a very difficult question of a nominated Supreme Court justice and asked, what is a woman? That's tough. That's difficult. Especially if you're not a biologist or a doctor. It's an impossible question. He makes an easy one here. Jesus chose these examples because of the absurdity of these questions. The absurdity of giving something that's corrupt to a child. That's what he's saying here. Why would you give something that's unreal to a child that may be hungry? To a child that's, that's looking for something that's good. They're looking for something that they would want. Child is hungry. He's looking for a loaf of bread. Folks, this is not wonder bread. But it could look like a stone. You say, well, I, when I go into uh, my local Albertsons or Vons, they don't look like stones in there. Well, I can tell you by my trips to Europe, when they do some cooking of bread, it looks, it could look like a stone. It's just really different than the cooking of bread here. But I got to tell you, folks, it may look like a stone, but it tastes like heaven. I mean, it's really, really good. Again, what parent would give his child a snake? But you could. You could make that snake look like a fish if you cut it the right way and all of that kind of thing. But you know what? Jewish law forbids that. Jesus is speaking to the Jews here. How would he introduce the eating of snakes to their child? That would never happen. So it's an absurd kind of question that Jesus puts out there to the crowd. This Jewish father would not want to dupe his son into being ceremonially unclean. Not like somebody did to me when we were in a foreign country. And we went to a restaurant and he says, he orders all the food. I mean, because I, can't, I don't speak that particular language and I eat the food. And I'm eating it and then I look at my friend and I said, am I eating what I think I'm eating? And he looks at me and he smiles. Like, oh, oh, I am eating it is something that we don't normally eat here in the United States. I, I love that man. He took pictures of me outside the restaurant, sent him to his friends here at Grace Church, and they rebuked him immediately. <laughs> you shouldn't be bringing him to that restaurant. Folks, Peter was told by God, you can eat anything you want. So just remember that, as long as it's not poison. <coughs> what father would give his, his son inferior food? Instead of a choice meal. No father would do that. 
As a matter of fact, in the, in the passage that's similar to this particular passage, in Luke eleven twelve, don't need to turn there, it says this, or if he is asked for an egg, will he give him a scorpion, will he? No, a father would never, ever do that to his son, to his daughter, to his children, because he loves them. A father would never do that. A father would give his son good food. My father, even as an unbeliever, went out and worked hard so he could feed his family. He would certainly give them, especially being Jewish, food that was clean, not considered unclean. Look at verse 11 with me. If you then, being evil, he's speaking to the crowd, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask? Think about this. Your Father sent His Son to die for your sins. Why would He give you something evil? Why would He give you something difficult that you can't work through? Jesus points to the one truth, and that is always the truth about man. What is that truth? It's right here in the first part of that verse. If you then, being evil. I love that song that we just sang. We were evil, all of us. When somebody tells me their testimony and they say, well, I was always a Christian. uh, That's an impossibility. That's an impossibility. There was a day when you were evil, when you were an enemy of God, because that's the only way is is to get saved, is to understand that you were an enemy of God. Turn to me uh, in Ephesians 2, just for a second. And I think Ephesians 2 sells it so clearly. And Ephesians 2 says, and this is that song that we just sang, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, folks. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, if you then being evil, you were dead, you were evil, you were an enemy of God. You hated God. You say, oh, no, no, I didn't hate God. Yeah, if you're not his, you hated God. You hated God. And so here we are, And the thing that I love about this, this verse here, Matthew 7, 11, Jesus points out one truth about man. He's always going to be evil. But notice what he does here. He doesn't say, and we then. Remember, Jesus is a man. He didn't include himself in this because Jesus was never evil. He was born innocent. He was born without sin. He doesn't say, if we then being evil, that's an impossibility, folks, because it is Jesus. Jesus could never include himself in that kind of a description. Now, when you're witnessing, this is a good verse to bring up to show that Jesus was without sin This indicates a different moral nature in Jesus than in the rest of his listeners. Jesus is the sinless one. Jesus does not have 
our corporate or corrupt, I should say, our corrupt moral nature. He never did. He is sinless and he remains sinless, even though tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. I mean, you say, well, he didn't have the internet. Folks, he had enough that could corrupt him if he could be corrupted. He was tempted in all things like we are. Now, what am I saying there as well for you as an encouragement, folks? Temptation is not sin yet. Temptation is not sin yet. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean that you have to do it. It's like, do we have a table this morning with donuts on it? You could be tempted to have a donut. I really want that donut. I like the the crawler. I like this. I like that. But you walk past it. Well, that temptation didn't come to fruition. So just remember that. His moral nature was perfect. He's sinless, completely innocent, yet completely able to forgive. He's completely able to forgive us. His going to the cross did that, folks. The Father gives good gifts. The Father gave His Son to take care of our sins, to propitiate our sins, expiate our sins, get rid of our sins. The Father gives good gifts. Not everything we want, okay? Not everything we want. I mentioned that last week, and I I think I spent a little bit of time on that. Not, Not whatever you ask for, because not everything that you ask for is good for you. It may be good to have it, it may be nice to have it, but it may not be good for you in particular. Evil parents give good things to their children. I see that with my neighbors. I see that they got the newest Game Boy or they have the newest computer game or I see that they have the newest little hot rod. Yesterday I got home after being away from the house for four days, and this kid's got this little hot rod going down, the, going down the street. I just hope that he puts a big, tall thing on it so people that are driving cars can actually see him. Evil parents give good things to their children. Sometimes they give those good things in abundance, and that's not so good. They can actually turn into bad. This passage here is pointing out that the father is giving only only good gifts to the son. The point then leads us to verse 12, and it says, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want to be treated. How do you treat people? And I don't mean the Christian that you see on Sunday at church. How do you treat those who are your employees? How do you treat your employer? Do you talk behind his back? Well, let's get a little bit close and personal. How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your husband? I mean, that's what Jesus is talking about here, folks. He's getting in your kitchen. He's getting in your kitchen and saying, hey, look at yourself. Don't be judging others, but look at yourself. How are you living out this life? So let's go back to, just to think about it, the passage that we looked at before where it says, 
in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Start the prayer ministry now of praying those kinds of things that you can treat others better. I think of the marriages that I counsel. And I, I think about, you know, when they're in premarital, oh my, everybody thing is happy and they got stars going off. Just, just, just remember that back there. Just remember they're dating. They love all of this stuff. It's going to be perfect. And then you get married. Oh, wait a minute. He leaves dirty socks on the floor. She spends hours in the bathroom. All of these things begin to become irritants. Folks, do you still love them? Do you still love them? How do you treat them? You see, God's love is an overwhelming love. And that's the way we're supposed to love others, with an overwhelming love. Not not something inferior, but to the max. When we get to this 12th verse here, it's the golden rule. I had never heard that before as an unbeliever that there was such a thing as a golden rule. I remember coming on staff here and somebody on staff once said to me something about the golden rule. And I said, what in the world is that? I didn't know, but this is what this is called, this particular verse. Let me read that particular golden rule to you. It says this in verse 12, it says, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. It says there, in everything. Folks, there isn't anything that you can leave out. In everything, you are to treat them this way. Then when it says, therefore, it says, it indicates that this statement is attached to all that has previously been said in chapter 7 there about judging others, looking at them and judging them, maybe by the way they're dressed or judging them by their length of hair or judging them by the shoes they wear or whatever job they have. Or You know what? It doesn't really matter. Who in the world would want to judge by those things? Because when you get to heaven, you're not going to have that job or those shoes. (laughs) But that's what we do. We look at others and And we see maybe a deformity, maybe something wrong, maybe this, maybe that. We start judging them. They're people created by God. Why do you do that? I once listened to my son-in-law preach a message on the human race. And that's what we are. We're one race, human Therefore, it tells us that it's going back there. This tells us Jesus is still speaking to the issue of judgment of others. And that judgment should not be harsh, should not be unkind. You should treat them as you want to be treated. So what do you do? You go out and be a miserable person? Or do you treat them kindly, nicely? Not just to get something back in return. And so, in a sense, Jesus is still speaking of that ministry of prayer and your interaction with other people. I got to tell you, folks, I think this particular scripture here, this section from 7.1 all the way to 7.12, is basically telling us and directing us not to harm others. 
not, not to be harmed at the same time of using that and you possibly being harmed. As you look at these instructions from Jesus, you, you can note that he is not left the spirit as the subject of judgment. It's all about that, folks. That's the undercurrent that's here. Don't judge others as inferior to you. I don't care their intelligence. I don't care their walk in life or any of those things. And frankly, folks, don't judge those who have a superior intelligence or money or anything else. It doesn't matter in the eyes of God. That's the undercurrent here. So let's go look at verse 12. It says, treat people the same way that you want them to treat you. And I've got to go back to that once again about being miserable. Folks, if you are a miserable person in life, why would you expect anything else but misery in return? It's like the man who lived in Colorado gave me a call and you know, told me he was on his third wife and, and told me that uh, he hated everybody and he was a believer. I said, really? It tells me in the Bible in 1 John 4 that if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. And he said, boy, you're pretty upfront. I said, well, yeah, that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. I'm not going to tell you anything that the Bible doesn't tell you. Do you know that man had some substance of money and he moved to California and I, he came under counseling. Matter of fact, we became friends with he and his current wife. We found out that he was a miserable man. Miserable to everybody, including the postman who dropped off the mail who, if he made too much money, uh, made too much noise. And so it, it was just absolutely incredible. It was everything. It wasn't until you started to get to that heart of the matter is he thought he was better. And he wasn't. He wasn't. If you berate or question or oppose someone, would you expect anything else to get in return? Or or would you want to be like that child who says, yes, mommy, yes, daddy, thank you. Whatever you say, whatever you want to do, you can speak harshly to me. I don't mind. You should keep going to do that. No, I don't think you're going to have that kind of response. You're going to have a child who wants to run out the back door and get away from mommy and daddy. But that is how some people speak in the family. That's how sometimes parents speak to their children. How do I know? I've heard it. I've heard it. Not in my home, thank goodness. But I've heard it. What do you think you're going to get in return if you give that? If you're kind, if you're considerate towards others, in this life, you would expect that they would be kind and considerate towards you. Am I correct? Yeah. But you know what you're doing? You're doing exactly what God has called you to do to be kind and considerate. Because Jesus even said, love your enemies. We saw that back in Matthew 5, 43. Why don't you turn back there just for one second. Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says this. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Wow. That's what you've heard. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Are you serious? 
I mean, those who are miserable toward me, those who are disparaging towards me, those who are just unfriendly and ugly towards me, I need to start praying for them? Yeah. Yeah. I think I mentioned this to you once before, but I had a counselor who was counseling a woman. She was a a pastor's wife, and she started counseling the woman, no matter what your husband, how he treats you, you just keep loving him and keep serving him. After three weeks, the wife said, what in the world's gotten into you? The the husband said to the wife, what in the world's gotten into you? She says, well, the pastor's wife says, that's what I need to be doing if I'm a Christian, and I'm I'm doing that because I, I need to show you that I love you. He said, well, what church is that? And he goes to the church and he gets saved. Folks, it's not a guarantee for that. But that just gives you an example. If we do that with everyone, what will they recognize in us? Why are you different? Why are you different? I know this world says something else, folks, and I know it. Stand up for your rights. That's what you hear in this world. Stand up for your rights. But that is not God's way. That's not God's way. He has this here in his scripture and everything, therefore. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. And then he punctuates it with this. For this is the law and the prophets. What's the law and the prophets? Obviously, it's the Old Testament. But here's an Old Testament condensed into two two, uh, commandments. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love others as you already love yourself. Two commandments just condensed there. And that's actually an indication of this golden rule here. That's what it's saying. Love others. You see, what Jesus is pointing out here, and I think this is another point that we need to make. What Jesus is pointing out here. That instead of hearing, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not do this, you shall not do that. He's saying we need to be positive. Positive to love our neighbor, positive to serve our brother and sister. That's what we need to do. Beloved, Jesus truly substantiates this statement of the gospel. And he says that because this is the law and the prophets. He sort of put the seal of approval on it. The statement to treat others the way you want to be treated is basically a summary of the law and the prophets. It's an incredibly profound statement by Jesus. You see, Jesus is once again getting us away from the idea that somehow Christianity is a set of rules. Do you ever think of it as a set of rules? You know, sometimes when I do counseling, people are asking me, so what do I need to do? They, They want to have a list of things to do. It's not a set of rules, folks. It's not a set of rules. It's a change of heart. And once that heart change has happened, when you can say, I got saved on this day, I recognize that I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And once I declare that I recognize I was dead in my trespasses and sins and I trust in everything in Jesus Christ, things change. It doesn't happen all you know, right there. But it begins to change. And you have more of a love for other people. Sinclair Ferguson had something to say about this. And I'm going to quote him here. I want you to know this came from Sinclair Ferguson. Only the person who sees that he is a beggar 
before the Lord and has nothing to offer, but has discovered that he is heir of the grace of God, will be sufficiently set free from self-centeredness of character or to put others first and to do to them that he would appreciate receiving from them. That's when we discover who we really are. And folks, we are still doing that. That's called progressive sanctification. You know, we're becoming more and more holy because we're still selfish. We're still selfish. I want things my way. I'm still wondering why when I walk in the house, my wife doesn't give me the remote and put my slippers on. Just joking. Just joking. We don't recognize Jesus as the only way of salvation, folks. Noting the impossibility that for us to keep the law completely. But he is the only way of salvation. Need to be cognizant of my time. As we walk this walk, hopefully it's a worthy walk as we've been hearing in Ephesians chapter 4 from Pastor John. We continue to grow. We continue to learn. We continue to put others before self. But most of all, you love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. And, and I need to call you to that and continue to call you to that. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I mentioned last week that I was reading his book. And you need to hear this. Quote, the whole thing can be brought down to one word, self. Our Lord expresses it by saying that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. But that is the one thing we do not do and do not want to do because we love self so much in a wrong way. We do not do unto others as we would wish them to do unto us because the whole time we are thinking only about ourselves and we never transfer our thought to the other person. This is not my dictum. It is the truth, the simple literal truth about everybody in the world who is not a Christian. But alas it very often remains true even for Christians. Sadly. He didn't say that, but I do. Sadly. That's why I kept, I'm kept busy. Because people are thinking about themselves rather than thinking about the other person. You know, counseling is like this. They come in and they want to tell me what the other person did. I said, no, 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 no. Just tell me what you did wrong. Quietly. And then they try to formulate a sentence that says what the other person did. So, no, no, I, I saw what you did there. You got to tell me what you did. It cuts down counseling. I don't have to do anything anymore. <laughs> you begin to see it. How much we want to blame the other person instead of taking the blame ourselves. How much are you loving them? How much are you caring for them? How much are you serving them? How much are you bearing their burdens? Because there are many burdens in this life. I got to tell you, it is a sting, folks, and I know that it's felt. But here's the question. The summary question is this. Is that true of me? 
that I think of myself before I think of others. Is that true of me? Am I that selfish? Am I that self-focused? Am I that self-oriented? And folks, I'm not looking at anybody in particular, but I could say yes. I could say yes. So what do we do? We just live with it? No, I think you put a plan together. I think you put a plan together and you begin to treat people the way you want to be treated. So you begin to serve them. Can I put it this way? You need to do a spiritual introspection. This is not a spiritual condemnation. This is a spiritual introspection. The difference is that in introspection, I note the failures, I confess them to my almighty God, and I begin to change them. I begin to change them. I I begin to put off those old things of selfishness, and I put on those things that I need to be putting on and serving others and thinking about others. Where does it start? I got to tell you, it starts with a prayer life that's significant. That's how you start to do that. You start to pray for others. You see their hurts, their pains. You do that. You see, in condemnation, it's um, mostly working in the doldrums of pity. Woe is me. Psalm 139, why don't you turn there? David, uh, when he was in the doldrums of self-pity, could have said this, but he wasn't. In Psalm 139, he's talking about the omniscience, the omnipresence, the omnipotence of God, and, and he's going through all of this and saying God knows the moment he was born and, and he was in utero and nobody else even knew that he was in utero and brought him all the way to his death. And then he says at the end, and this is what we all need to do, in Psalm 139, 23, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Today, I challenge you, after going to the Hargroves, that you come back, you find a quiet place, you sit down, and you say, God, search my heart. Am I generally a selfish person? What do I do with my selfishness? How do I hurt others instead of serving them? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me. I can guarantee, no matter who you are, that if you truly do that, you will find ways that you are serving self and not serving the other person. You will be able to find those things, confess those things, and begin to change those things. That's what we're here for. Since this is the last thing, is uh, my friend uh, back there, Connor, we're going to do PowerPoint. I know you're shocked. (laughs) I just have some suggestions just for you. Things to think about for this whole section here. And Connor's been helping me, and I know that we're going to get this... um, Done. Do I have to start this up, Connor? I have to push the button. I don't. Can I really do that? The forward button. Ah. Wow. And you didn't think it could be done. I know. I know. I know. It's it's okay. 
Um, I'm so glad that I do this in Shepherd's Conference and not have to do it here because you folks are... Anyway, uh, what have we learned? Some points of interest, some things to think about. You know what? I'm not going to be able to preach on the Sermon on the Mount until August. Okay, we have Sundays in July. Uh, June, we happen to go away doing an ICR uh, weekend uh, down in um, at the Grand Canyon. And uh, then after that, we uh, take our granddaughter away. And uh, so... These are just some things to think about. Number one, judgment of others is not on outward appearance, but on who they are in Christ. When you see someone, that's what you should be judging them. Not not because they have a, a Bible, but who are they in Christ? Are they truly my brother or sister? And that's where you need to start. If they're truly my brother and sister, then they can talk about the things of God. When we moved in our neighborhood in 1985, um, my next door neighbor came up and we just started talking and, and he says, oh, I hear you're a Christian. I said, yeah, I am. And, and, and he said, well, so am I. And I, went, I, I just started talking about the things of God with him. And all of a sudden he started doing the moonwalk. <laughs> he was Christian in name only. He was Christian and he went and he sang in his choir and he told me what church and all of that kind of stuff. But that's all he was. You have to make that assessment. That man needed the gospel. I have no idea where he is today. Number two, we're not to be self-righteous Pharisees. That somehow we're better than others. Please, get that out of your stinking mind. Because that's what it is. It's stinking up there. You're no better than anyone else. You can foul up as much as as all of us. So think of that, keep that in your mind. Number three is our judgment of others is to be informed judgment. Informed judgment. Uh, We were talking yesterday about the uh, uh, care of the children in the uh, nursery. Well, we have to be informed about those people who are in there. Why? Because we have precious little lives in there. And so they have to do background checks for them. Now, we're not doing background checks to get into Anchored. Not yet, are we, Carl? No, no. But you need to know who these people are. You need to, what's going on in your life? Tell me, how is God growing you? So we need to have that informed judgment. By the way, Sweet Summer at the Shannons is coming up in August, and so that you can come over and and we can uh, sit down and have a, I'll put you under the heat lamp and we'll ask you a question. We have a lot of fun there. Number four. Jesus condemns a hypercritical spirit. And, and they're where you've got to find everything wrong. You did this wrong. You did that wrong. You did this wrong. You did, and he condemns it. In the passages that we've looked at from verse 1 to verse 12, he condemns that hypercritical spirit. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Do you want them to be hypercritical with you on everything that you do? I don't think so. I don't think so. Number five, remove the log of self-condemnation from your eye. Commendation, I'm sorry, commendation, not condemnation. Commendation, I'm a good guy. Remove that log because you can't see clearly. I think we called it a redwood when we were preaching through it. It's as if you've got a redwood in your eye. You can't see beyond that. That's part of that that section there. 
Number six, be biblically informed and biblically directed. Whenever you're making a judgment of anyone, be biblically informed and then biblically directed. What do I do? My brother needs this. My sister needs that. How can I serve them here? And I got to tell you, one of the huge things is this word that I bring up when we do premarital, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Got a couple right now that they are not forgiving one another, not in this class. I say, you got to go back to premarital. Because if you don't learn it there, you're going to carry through a life of bitterness. What does bitterness do? You lose out on the grace of God when you lose out on bitterness. You look at Hebrews 12, 14. You lose out on the grace of God. Learn forgiveness and you forgive how many times? Seven times seven. Seven no, let's go the other. Even if it was 49 times a day. Uh, yeah, some of you don't stretch it before you get to two. So biblically informed and biblically directed. Number seven, do not give what is holy to dogs and hogs. Now, that's a matter of discernment that you're going to need. Uh, you're going to need to know, but you know what? You can't start doing discernment until you start with love. You have to be able to love people. You have to be able to love even that person who's an unbeliever who's going to treat you like trash because you brought up the gospel. And they could be a hog or they could be a dog. And so you find out. Once you find out, then you stop casting your pearls before swine. That's what the passage says. Now, there are seven there, and seven is a perfect number, so we're going to do seven twice. <laughs> we have another seven here. Number eight that uh, I have on the list, so we could do it number one, whichever you want to do. The gospel is now entrusted to you who were once dead. And I saw that show of hands that you know the day you were born. I, I got to tell you, I love the, uh, that day I was born. I can remember where I was. I can remember the knees I was on. I can remember the Bible I was reading. I could remember all of those things. And I remember just inching along like a snail. Well, let's call it a slug. A slug, just how do, how, what do I do now? What do I do next? When I asked that lady in Montreal, Canada, is there a good church in Southern California? She says, I only know of one. And she said, Grace Community Church. And then I wound up here. How in the world does that happen? Now you can't get rid of me. The gospel is entrusted to those who were once dead. And now you are bringing it to others. Number nine, pray for spiritual needs. And I basically, when I'm thinking of that and praying for spiritual needs, is basically the message from last week about ask in humility, about seek in discovery, and knock in believing. That's If you are pressing God for these things, he's going to be like that judge who's going to give in and give to you. But if it's a good thing, a spiritual thing, you're going to start receiving those things. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. When I begin to pray for somebody, and I begin to see a change, and I'm, I'm talking about people that are in counseling who may have thought they were saved, and then God begins to change them, truly change them, because of his work. 
Folks, that's what we're here for. We are gospel proclaimers. God didn't save you so that you could just take a parking space. God saved you so that you could proclaim the gospel to others. That's what he wants from us. Pray for spiritual needs. God gives good gifts, and that's what today is about. He's not in the business of bait and switch. He's going to give you the good things if you're praying for them right way. He's not going to be like the father who may give a stone for a piece of, for a, a loaf of bread. He's not like the father who may give a snake for a fish. That's not what he does. He gives good things. And, you know, I was praying this morning about the whole situation in Texas. And I was begging God, use this, the 18 lives that were lost, to bring others to Christ, to have the gospel proclaimed, that people would actually hear it, not just attend a church that's going to have nice music and, and everybody's good. No, people are evil. Let's, 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 uh, that's the fact. God is good and he can change that evil. But I want to see those people get saved more than anything. I mean, that's what he used, you know, in 9-11, do you know how many stories there are of people that came out of that thing and are now still walking with the Lord? I prayed that the first time, it ha- the morning it happened. That was the World Trade Center. It used to be my territory. I can't imagine. But think about it, folks. That's what we're here for, gospel proclaimers. Number 10, God gives good gifts. God is in the business of giving us good gifts. Number 11, God wants us to grow in relationship to him. I, I, I know that. How do, how do I know that? Because he's telling us here, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, uh, who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it will be opened. He wants you to be in relationship with him in prayer. Recognize him. Our pastor is going to come up today. He's going to say something about what's going on in America again, uh, just for a little bit. Abner's thinking he'll have some time to preach. Uh, (laughs) Why does he do that? He loves his people. And he wants them to be biblically informed as to what's going on in our country. It's a sad day, folks. It's a sad day that something like that would happen in our country. But you know what, folks? Things maybe on a smaller scale like that happen all the time. And and folks, and I'm not a gun-toting guy. I don't even have one. But guns don't kill. People kill. Just remember that. Guns don't kill, people kill. God gives good gifts. God wants us to grow in relationship to him. Number 12, the Lord give good things to his children. So the Lord does his children well. He takes care of them. And so if you are his child, now there may be somebody here who's not. There may be somebody here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, give your life to the Lord now. 
Come speak to me afterwards. Tell me about your journey. Because we all have a journey. We've all been somewhere. But I want you to go, all of us to go to the same place. That's what we want. To all go to the same place. Number 13. God's love is an overwhelming love. I don't know how you take that in. But his love doesn't end. His love doesn't end. When I read through the Old Testament and I see that word loving kindness of our Lord, that word has said, is said over and over and over again. And he's speaking of these sinful, rebellious people that that are walking away from God. And he still has this loving kindness for them. And you know what? Even in your sin, he still loves you. Even in your sin, he still loves you. But is that sin just an indication of your rebellion against him and you're really not his? I don't know. Here's number 14. Put others first. But you know, you can't get to the point of putting others first if you're stuck on yourself. If your business is only your business, uh, then you're not thinking of others. And you can't then focus on them. I had, I had a gentleman who was having trouble when he get home. And, uh, and I said, so what do you do on the way home? Is that just a, that's a good question, right? What do you do on the way home? He says, well, I'm listening to the arguments on the political station. <laughs> so you got an argument when you come in the house. Why don't you shut that off? Why don't you put on some Christian music? Or why don't you put on no music? Maybe it's just background music. Or, you know, how about this? On your way home, why don't you pray for your wife and your children? Be prepared for when you walk in the door. I, 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 I hope you don't mind this, but one time I walked in the house and my wife said, I want you to spank the children. How do you say no to your wife? And you do it thoughtfully. Um, you know, I haven't seen them do what you have seen them do. So wait until they do it, and then I'll spank them, okay? You have to see them do it, at least for me. My kids don't even remember me spanking them, but I did. Because they did it again. Their selfishness. (laughs) Their selfishness was there evident that night. And so we took care of that. Put others first. But you can't put others first until you put Christ first. Christ has to truly be in your heart. Christ has to truly be yours. He has to be resident there for you to be able to put others first. Because if he's not there, there is no love. Yeah, there's no love. And so you are bankrupt. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this passage in Matthew chapter 7. Thank you, Lord, that you brought it to us uh, there on the mountain, speaking to your disciples, as we have here, disciples here today, speaking to them, frankly, that they need to love you more than anything else, that they need to love others more than they love themselves. It's easy to love ourselves, Lord. We take care of ourselves every single day. 
but it's more difficult to love others who may not love us as much in return. We pray this in your name. Amen.